Hello and welcome to COVID Stories, a podcast series regarding leadership following the COVID-19 outbreak. I'm your host, Dallas Emerson, Director of Business Development at the IT Guys. Before we get started, these interviews were conducted during the COVID lockdown and were held over Microsoft Teams. Any sound quality issues are the result of social distancing that we're all too familiar with. If you're listening on our site, we're thrilled to have you, but you might find it easier to listen to COVID stories through iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Joining me today is Jill Sutton, Executive Director of the Texas Osteopathic Medical Association. How are you doing, Jill? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, you know, for those who are listening to this, we're kind of seemingly at the beginning of a second wave here in Texas of uh, COVID-19, unfortunately. Uh, last few interviews, it seemed like it was getting a little bit better. So, Jill, you have the fun of being the first person to, that I'm talking to after the second wave began. <laughs> so, Jill, this is the question I kind of ask everybody. Uh, I ask everybody because I think it's kind of important for us to know really when everybody had the same or when COVID-19 became co common knowledge. When did you first know that something was going to have to change, that COVID-19 wasn't just a really bad cold and flu season? Mm -hmm. You know, I was trying to look actually back at my calendar to think about that a little bit more and give me some true perspective. But I would say in early, early March, early to mid March, um, we started getting phone calls from our physician members, uh, asking some questions. And then all of a sudden it kind of died down. And a lot of that had to do with the, um, the demand on our physician members trying to, uh, just, <laughs> try to see patients, whether they be COVID or otherwise, people who were symptomatic, trying to figure out whether or not they had COVID. So I would I would say probably in, in mid-March, we were identifying that this was a bigger deal than just the common flu and that we were going to have to try, take some different measures as far as programming uh, for events that we had in the summer and just take a different approach on some of our programs coming up. Now, uh you know, just thinking about your members and that they were kind of the ones where you started to really hear things from. I've spoken, I've had the pleasure, the honor to get to talk to a lot of people in the medical uh, world, medical field. Um, have your members been swamped or are they kind of dying for business based on where the regulations fall? Well, it's kind of tricky. It's tricky with our members because our members, so my association, the Texas Osteopathic Medical Association, represents every specialty in the medical profession and their DOs rather than MDs. So they're do doctors of osteopathic medicine. Um, with that, you know, family practitioners, family physicians, internists, those uh, sorts of physicians have been slammed. Um, some of that certainly depends also on their not only capacity to be able to take on COVID patients, whether they're able to do telemedicine, there there were a lot of factors that have come into play no matter what specialty you are. Um, but in addition, with some of the executive orders that the governor put in place, shutting down any elective surgeries, our physicians who are specialists have been shut down. Um, so like I said, it really kind of depends on the type of specialty, the type of medicine that the physicians practice as to how they've been impacted. Those who were able to jump on uh, and offer telemedicine 
have been, you know, steadily busy trying to see patients, trying to determine if if they are a um, practitioner, um, you know, who see general uh, kind of care as far as patients go. Uh, some of them were trying to help their patients in that way. Um, so it really kind of depends. I mean, we do have some who have talked about bankruptcy, um, whose practice was shut down completely for several weeks, just again, because of the executive orders. So they've, because we represent so many different specialties and so many different physicians, um, practicing medicine, it's across the board as far as how people have been impacted. I can't even imagine the kind of overload you must be facing right now. And, you know, I've known you for a while. We've worked with you all for a while. So I can say this, that you or Toma is very experienced with working in a remote environment. Are you a prophet? Did you did you predict a uh, global pandemic years before it happened? <laughs> no, hardly. <laughs> um, we are in a unique situation, have been for quite some time. Um, I started back in August of 2018, and when I started, we were already working in a virtual environment. Uh, the office that we own, our building, is um, uninhabitable. We cannot work in there due to mold issues as well as a whole lot of other structural issues. And so for that reason, um, I started and worked from home. Uh, we were in the process of trying to sell a building. We still are. And for that reason, um, working virtually was was necessary you know certainly team meetings and uh other kind of efforts uh were done in person and we had to meet a lot of times at different restaurants and other things just to build uh kind of again that relationship with my team but ultimately we i started with the virtual environment from day one and so how was it? I mean, everybody right now has been trying to figure out the virtual work concept, obviously. But, you know, in a way, they kind of have the advantage of doing it uh, together. People can kind of all at the same time test a bunch of different things and find out what works, what doesn't. You were kind of a hipster in that you were doing this before it was cool. <laughs> what was it like working in a totally virtual setup, transitioning to a vir totally virtual setup when no one else was? How did you get those resources? Where did you go? Walk me through that a little bit. Well, it's it's hard to say for sure. I mean, I I feel like I'm I'm very much a people person. I like to have conversations with people in person, not only to get a better understanding, a read for body language, um, to be able to make true eye contact and and really build a relationship with my team, um, even my physician docs, my my board. Um, I, I think there's a huge advantage of having that opportunity. So it was an adjustment, uh, again, not administratively, but I would say it was an adjustment in the sense of not being around people all of the time. Um, it's, I can't say depressing, um, by any stretch of the imagination because you do still have interactions, but, um, I would say it, it's a it, it becomes a new norm in the sense of you just have to kind of step back and know, you know, OK, I'm going to be on the phone all day long. Uh, I'm going to have to take a different approach as far as maybe my communication skills and or the way that I work with my team uh, to ensure that. I'm being clear 
about my expectations, about what it is that our ultimate goal is, and wanting to make sure, too, that everybody feels that they can share ideas and feel that they will be accepted and considered. Um, so, like I said, it, it definitely you do have to or I feel like I've had to take a little bit of a different approach working in a virtual environment as far as addressing my team, um, addressing my board, trying to just come up with new and different ideas. Uh, but I mean, at the end of the day, do I want to have a conversation with anybody in my family, friends? No, because I'm on the phone all day long. So it's it gets exhausting after a while, and I like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of on that point a little bit, I want to dig down in there because one of the questions we get a lot is from other leaders, executives, who are relatively new to leading in a totally virtual environment. So since you're kind of a grizzled veteran in that, um, what specific steps do you take to to maintain that personal connection with your team that particularly in the association world so many executives have with their team well again my situation's a little bit different we're a very small association um right now we are a staff of two and so it's a little bit easier i think to manage with a with a smaller staff because it's more one-on-one -on -one interaction so with that um you know certainly i have regular conversations uh more than once a day <laughs> with uh my team uh trying to not only just kind of um do a pulse check how, how we feel and, you know, but it's not always down to just straight business. Um, we do a lot of collaboration, of course, business related, coming up with ideas, trying to currently look at the numbers of members that have not renewed. Uh, we came up with a campaign to extend membership for our physician members um, in hopes that they could take advantage of some of the resources that we had available during, you know, the, the big kind of times that the state was shut down providing resources and such. And so there was there was a lot of collaboration trying to put to, together ideas and take different approaches on various things. But, you know, in addition to that, you know, we've definitely had to step back and, hey, how you doing? Are you doing okay? You know, not only from a health perspective, do you have any friends that you've talked to who have been affected by this, whether it be, um, you know, in person or through others? Uh, how does it make you feel? Um, having those conversations, I think, and being able to talk to somebody about it, even if you're already having those conversations with loved ones, it's helpful. You're, you know, and at least hope that you know that you're not the only one in that situation. Um, you know, even at this point for us, being a small team, we have the capability of both being in the same office at the same time, but we've chosen not to do so. One, there's still, I think, hesitation um, amongst people and the unknowns and the uncertainties, especially with numbers increasing uh, at rapid rates. But in addition, you know, whether it be health um, kind of histories, um, pre-existing conditions, or in my case right now, we're going through a remodel. And so my family has had to move in with my parents who both have had health issues over the last year. So again, it's just trying to take all of that into consideration and making sure that our team, myself included, feels comfortable, um, feels heard, uh, and can kind of bounce ideas or 
share frustrations or, um, you know, even I'm scared, you know, whatever it might be. So um, I definitely think there's definitely had to be more of a personal approach with this, especially working in a virtual environment. Well, you know, you touched on something, and maybe I'm taking from a couple of different points, but I think it's a unique struggle that smaller organizations face, um, being that, yeah, if it's just a few people, and like you said, you're on the phone all day, you only ever talk to a few people. Um, so do you just basically have to set aside time that, you know, okay, I'm going to socialize with somebody who is not my family, no offense to the family, and not my staff, no offense to the staff, and not one of my members? Do you just have to choose? Or what steps do you take to make sure that you and your team stay sane? Well, for me personally, it's still working out, exercising. Um, it is and always has been a huge priority of mine. Um, I've got younger kids, seven and nine, and um, wanting and needing to have an outlet is important, again, not only during coronavirus, but also just in general. So for me, um, it's a, my schedule is a little bit different right now because we don't have the hustle and bustle of school in the morning, so we don't have to get them ready. But um, ultimately, you know, I during school, I was waking up at 445 every morning to make sure that I got my workout in, had a chance to shower and get ready for the day before my family's day started. And while the extra time probably wasn't needed, I feel like I'm better composed by taking the time, not feeling rushed to deal with everybody else's needs first. So that's at least been my saving grace is just continuing with the workouts. I get at least five workouts in a week, if not more often than that. And of course, now with everything being shut down, you know, I work out on my driveway or run the neighborhood, but we do a lot of hikes as well as a family. Nice. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. You got to take care of the body, take care of the mind. Otherwise, we're all just going to go insane in our <laughs> homes and apartments. <laughs> so, you know, you've had to work remotely twice now. Um, did you feel was was there was there a sense of dread of oh gosh we you know we recently got uh, back to working in the office now we're going to go back to working at home or was it kind of a was it almost a relief of like you know what I preferred it at home than to the office? No, to be honest, like I said before, I I'm a people person. I like to have personal conversations, in-person conversations. And so I was honestly a little disappointed. I mean, were we prepared? Absolutely. It was kind of like, okay, we got to start working from home, turn on your laptop, which I take home every day anyway. And that was the transition. It was a, a very simple, smooth transition for us as far as, you know, one day having to decide, okay, we're, we're, we've got to shut down the building. Um, but for us, like I said, we obtained our office space in October. And um, so we've only been in it for, you know, a couple of months really before everything shut down. Um, I, I miss the opportunity to work in the office. I appreciate the flexibility, but you know, when, you're working from home, you tend to be on more. Um, you trying to find a way to be able to find the balance um, and having a separation of balance between work and family is one that, you know, can certainly be challenging. And, and certainly I would say that first time around the August 
a year and a half, we'll say, that I had been on board, that I was working from home. Um, when my kids came home, it was necessary for me to make sure that I set my work aside so that I could devote the time that I wanted but also needed to spend with my family. Um, that's certainly continued to be a huge priority of mine um, as well as my husband's and making sure that there is that differentiation between the two. Um, work is always going to be there. And uh, certainly my hours are longer than what they've ever been before, particularly with some of the big, you know, outbreaks and, you know, just numbers reacting and providing information for the membership. But, you know, trying to make sure that we step away. And I've, I've encouraged my staff to do the same. I know it's there. I know you can get on at any time, but I need you to stop. I need you to turn it off. This can wait until tomorrow unless it's an emergency and I'm asking you to make an exception. I need you to stop because otherwise you're going to go crazy and you're going to get burnt out really fast. So when you say set your work aside, I mean, you know, we obviously we live in the world of the smartphone. Yep. Uh, we all have laptops, like you said. Um, what does that look like for you? Do you just turn your phone off? Do you what, what is what is setting your work aside mean? Because I ask this because I know a lot of people who we listen, a lot of people I talk to are working parents. And yeah. as you said, the kids are home. So what does well, it look like for you? I think, first of all, I think it, setting expectations early on is really important. Um, for instance, with my team, um, you know, while text is available, it's kind of within a certain window of time. Again, if it's an emergency, it's another deal. But, you know, I try not to send emails late at night, even if it is that I'm working at that time, um, because I don't want there to be an ex, um, an exception. Oh my gosh, words, Jill. Um, I don't want the expectation to be that I want a response immediately. Um, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't sleep and it's because work is on my mind and I'm needing to get some things off my, my mind so that I can hopefully fall back asleep. So, you know, I've tried with that particularly to draft an email or delay send or something else. But so that would be one area um, that even if I'm needing to do something, um, I want to make sure that my staff have the opportunity to be able to step back and to, you know, uh, try to be respectful of their time. Um, with my board as well, though, I would say that um, they know that if it's an emergency, then absolutely I will get back in touch with them. But, you know, there's kind of a window and it's again, it's extended as far as um, my availability. It's not your typical eight to five. But um, if if it's something that's not needed immediately, um, I, at the very least, will touch base with them and say, is this something we can discuss later? I'm trying to feed my family or whatever it is. Um, so like I said, setting those expectations. But for me, truly, I have to, you know, I try to shut my computer, not necessarily down, but, you know, putting the laptop down and then stepping away. And, and I really do try as well when I'm with my family. I don't have my phone on me all the time because those are the people that need me. And if if I'm with them, then we're typically OK and I don't have to have the phone with me at all times. Personally, again, I, I try to be uh, really thoughtful with my approach and the time that I dedicate to my family. And with that, you know, I'm not constantly checking my phone when we eat dinner and my phone rings or if I get a text, I don't get up to answer the phone because it can wait. It can wait even if it's 30 minutes 
unless it's an emergency, it can wait. Um, so again, just trying to set that boundary. I think that's the one challenge I have observed, at least, is with kind of the smartphone era and just technology advances. Everybody thinks that they need a, a response immediately. And I don't know that that's necessarily healthy for us. So I've tried to kind of step back and at least be a little bit more thoughtful in how it is that I approach things as well as what my expectations are of others. I like that, that the, the idea that, you know, you don't necessarily need everything immediately. I think that's something that we could all do a little bit better to remember. So now, you know, in addition to trying to figure out working from home um, on the idea that you've had to work virtually twice now, I, I've got to ask, is, is this something that you or your board are considering just making permanent or are you are you hoping when all this settles down, Toma is going to be back in a building? We'll be back in the building. Um, you know, do do we have the capability of working 100 percent virtually? Yes. Other than the fact that we have stuff to clean out. Um, we did that. <laughs> a lot of that moving from a 4100 square foot building into an 800 square foot building. So we've kind of already gone through that downsizing factor or phase already. Um, but no, we. I would like, unless my board says otherwise, but at least right now they they haven't considered, they haven't brought it up. Um, we, if we needed to cut back on our expenses in a different way, we could certainly do that. But having the space, having a home is important. Um, and again, it gives us the ability to have the camaraderie, um, the team meetings. We on occasion have our physician members come into the office. And so, again, having kind of a headquarters is helpful. But, you know, again, for us, downsizing happened. It happened early for us um, and we've been able to make it work quite successfully. Um, we don't need all of the files. We certainly are still kind of going through the process of trying to shred and destroy um, papers from many, many years ago that quite frankly, just took up a lot of space in the building that we weren't ever using. And we, of course, had, you know, some personal information and in some of the files. So um, it's been a good thing to be able to go cloud based, to be able to archive things in a different way and have it electronically versus needing a really big office to hold a bunch of items that we don't really access that often anyway. So, no, I, I absolutely intend to go. And quite frankly, right now, even we we just alternate what day we go into the office to make sure that we still, you know, kind of have a sterile environment. And again, to make sure that everyone feels comfortable, I may go in on one day and then um, they'll go in the other days when I'm not there just to make sure that everyone feels safe and comfortable. I like the effort that you are putting into making sure that there is comfort and that you're meeting people where they're at. That, I think, is what everybody needs to be on board with doing right now. And I like your insight, too, on needing to kind of have an HQ. You know, I'm a, I'm a tech person, so a lot of times I just think of, well, you have all the tools, just go do this. But that makes sense. There's a there's a kind of a, a non, uh, an intangible there. Ironically enough, an intangible to having a tangible building. <laughs> so, you know, we've we've already talked a little bit about this, about the difficulties faced by large and small organizations. We talked about kind of just the fact that you're in a small group and, you know, you're 
just talking to the same people over and over again, what are the challenges do you find that are unique to small organizations, particularly during crises? Well, I, I would probably say, depending on the staff size and depending on the person's um, individual needs or their family um, kind of environment. For me, um, I've got, like I said, two kids. My staff don't have children. With us, homeschooling, <laughs> we all of a sudden were faced at the end of March to have to homeschool our kids. Um, and my husband was at home as well. So in addition to, you know, me working from home, I had three other people in my house trying to work. Um, I learned very quickly that I am not successful at um, homeschooling my kids. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. My husband is far better. And so we had to make some arrangements, um, move me into our home office. And he then had his dual monitors on our dining room table and was able to kind of monitor the girls and give them instruction or guidance when they needed help with stuff. But um it it just wasn't my thing. I'm not very good at it. And uh, so that was probably the biggest struggle. And I wouldn't say struggle in the sense of, um, you know, it, it it didn't put a huge amount of stress on it, us in that way. But I think that it was a matter of trying to figure out how to work it all in and how to make it work successfully. Um, you know, the kids had Zoom meetings at the same time we had Zoom meetings, and that was a challenge. Everybody had to go into a different room of the house to make sure that we could hear one another. We had to get, you know, earbuds for everybody. The kids didn't have them. And, you know, we um, so so those were kind of the challenges that I personally had to face is trying to figure out those needs. Um in addition to, you know, trying to make sure that the business was running. Um, and again, you know, if my team had gone through the same thing, you know, I would have had to have been realistic about the fact that, you know, normal, and I'm doing air quotes here, but normal business hours may not exist right now. You know, they may have to try to get work in when they have the time, when they're not having to also be super dad, super mom, trying to get all of these other things done as well. So like I said, just trying trying to be flexible, um, I certainly would say is worthwhile and considering I unfortunately do have some friends and colleagues that uh, don't have the flexibility that I have. And it's been really challenging. You know, they're expected to be on the computer and available from eight to five. But how do you do that when you've got kids who are supposed to be homeschooled? And in theory, that seems like a really easy concept. But, you know, the teachers were still trying to learn the system. We're trying to figure out how to teach a lesson rather than it just being busy work. And I can't say that we're completely there, at least as far as how school ended and what my kids were offered. Um, I think things will evolve the this coming year, or I hope so. But, you know, again, we're going to have to come up with a new routine. And the kids start bouncing off the walls after a certain point when they've been sitting in front of the computer, too. So, again, family can be a challenge. Um, it's working together, setting expectations, that sort of a thing, I think, were the, the challenges that we experienced. But we're, we've worked through them. <laughs> I can't imagine the challenge of working with two young children. I have a cat and that's 
almost too much during this time. Uh, you had two human beings, and I think I'd lose my mind. So kudos to you and your husband. And kudos to your husband for simultaneously teaching and working. Right. Uh, I can't imagine. So how do you go about planning for the future? You know, I've kind of, again, last few uh, times I've talked to people, it sort of looked like, okay, things are getting smooth and we can start talking about what new normal, I'm doing the air quotes too, looks like moving forward. And then uh, as 2020 does, it threw another curveball at us. So how do you go about planning for the future when we don't know what on earth is going to happen next? Yeah, if only we had the magic ball. Uh, I would say, one, be really thoughtful as far as the vendors that you use. Um, we've been fortunate. We've worked with the IT guys for many years. And, um, again, they made this transition seamless. Uh, when I started, again, we were already in a cloud environment and a virtual environment. So it was really easy. But had we not have had that as a um, – as an infrastructure, it would have been really challenging to, you know, get everything done and transferred over that we needed to in a timely manner to make sure that we were still able to serve our members um, in whatever way they wanted and or needed us to. Uh, same thing with the phones. We already had a, a phone, a, a cloud-based phone system, uh, which allowed us to be able to have phone calls forwarded to our cell phones. It's a click of a button on our phone. And um, that made it incredibly easy. Again, people could still call the main phone number. We can call phone, make phone calls out and it appear that it's coming from the main office. Um, so having those in place were incredibly helpful, um, but it also still made us look professional and maintain that level of professionalism um, that I think at least when I first started, we didn't. We just had cell phones. And if we needed to return somebody's phone call, we were calling from that cell phone. Well, if you don't have that phone with you at all times, it can be pretty challenging. And again, they may not know who it is that's calling them. Um, you know, just exploring and trying to be ahead of the game as far as the different services that are out there, trying to do the research early, if possible. And it's not always. I mean, we had several different um, conference calling options, Zoom, but ultimately for the board meetings and some of the other programs that we've been doing, we chose to switch over to WebEx from a security perspective um, while there were you know, some questions about the integrity and um, security of Zoom and, and some of the other programs out there. But so, you know, moving forward, I think technology is key, um, making sure that you've got the best infrastructure possible has made it very easy again as far as transitioning. And then, you know, uh, we were just trying to be creative as far as how it is that we approach um, not only our communications, but also what our programs are going to be in the future, whether we have it live in person, we will be now offering live streaming as well, um, making things more readily available to our members is important, especially right now, because for us, while physicians are incredibly busy and a lot of them are trying to play catch up from the times that they were closed, um, they don't have time to be able to step away and to be able to go to a conference or, you know, if they were shut down for a while, 
money's tight and they're not able to go and spend a whole weekend plus a few, you know, days of travel um, to go to a meeting. So having the ability to do that is important. I think it's appreciative. We have a lot of members that aren't necessarily tech savvy. Um, it can be a challenge for them, but we've had to do some kind of trainings, whether it be just one-on-one -on -one phone calls, but making sure anyone who wants to access the information that we have available, they can get it. So like I said, those trainings have been helpful as well. Okay. So what does, in your opinion, <laughs> a new normal look like moving forward for missionship-driven organizations? I'm thinking. <laughs> That's a hard one. Um, you know, I, I, I absolutely believe that a lot of virtual options, more enhanced virtual options will definitely be available. But, um, you know, I, I do still think, and at least so far from what I've heard from my members, is that the networking opportunity um, the face-to-face -face interactions is still incredibly valuable. And um, I don't think that that's going to go away. I, I certainly hope it doesn't go away. I know that I personally um, value and, and gain a lot from having those one-on-one -on -one conversations in a session that I go to or after a presentation. I've made a lot of connections as a result of it. So, you know, virtual will absolutely be kind of a new norm, but I, I think and I hope that people, when we have the ability to be able to get out, that that doesn't, that amount of time or those offerings don't get reduced because it's perhaps less expensive to hold a virtual meeting versus an in-person meeting. I think that there's still a great amount of value in that. I think you're absolutely right. I think, I, I, I do think the, uh, the in-person will continue because people just crave contact. Yep. So my last question for you, <laughs> uh, you know, I've seen a couple of executive directors at your organization, and I can say you have handled curveballs better than almost any executive director I've seen at any organization. You've had a lot of curveballs thrown at you. So what advice in, a, in an era of curveballs being the norm <laughs> would you give to other executive directors out there? about the coming days, how to be ready, what to do, what advice do you have? Well, um, try to be positive. <laughs> try to know that doom and gloom is not always here. Um, try to take a positive outlook, uh, whether it be putting on a happy face, even if you don't feel that way, um, because things will get better. It can get pretty overwhelming at times, but um, Turn to your friends, to your peers, to your family, whether it be just to be a sounding board or better yet, to be able to hear insight, personal experiences that they've had to overcome stuff. Certainly um, TSAE as well as ASAE have been incredibly valuable resources as far as um, their membership forums go and what information people have been able to provide of like, hey, I, I tried this program or this type of service and it was fantastic. Or maybe I'm looking for something and I don't have a clue of who, you know, to even consider from a service provider. Um, that's helped a lot. Um, like I said, having 
having those connections, I think, has helped tremendously. Um, like I said, it, it helps keep me sane, but also trying to make sure that you worry about your own mental health, I think, is important. Because if you don't, um, I, I think you'll be treading water and maybe go under um, if you're not taking care of your, your own mental health while going through everything. But, yeah, the resources, reaching out to colleagues who are experiencing the same types of things. Um, I've gotten a lot of good resources as a result of that and um, maybe ideas of things that I had never considered before that have made my life a lot easier. Um, so don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask. Well, I can't think of a better thing to uh, to end on there than don't be afraid to ask. So, Jill, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I know those who are listening uh, have appreciated. I've enjoyed chatting with you. I hope you've enjoyed Likewise. getting to uh, get a talk and uh, have a great day and stay safe out there. Thanks, Dallas. You too. Thank you for listening. I'm Dallas Emerson with the IT Guys, and this has been COVID Stories. I'd like to remind listeners that you have a COVID story and we want to hear it. Send me an email at dallas at itguysusa.com and let's set up a time to talk about your COVID story. Your story may be just the thing someone needs to hear. Thanks again.